and welcome to episode 12 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that aims to keep you on the right side of the betting ledger. My name's Rod Murray and I'll be your host as we wander into the wide world of golf betting each week, a journey that is hopefully entertaining, educational, but most importantly in the end, profitable for you, the punter. Now how do we plan to do that? Well when I say we, I speak of course of my colleague and the real brains behind this operation, John Evans. John's been a golf professional for more than 50 years and a punter for even longer and what he's forgotten about those two fields in just the last 10 minutes would take most of us the best part of a life time to learn. Jay, a big welcome. Good to be chatting with you. Does it feel like that long as a pro in the golf caper? They reckon if you find something you love, you'll never do a day's work. I reckon you would have been a candidate to pull that off regardless. But does it ring true for you and golf? Well, I think, Rod, um, I had a lot of choices early on. Uh, I was very lucky and uh, I chose to play uh, professional golf. Um, I didn't have the uh, success that I perhaps had hoped initially, but I was very lucky in that uh, I experienced a whole lot of other aspects of the golf business, managing golf, uh, public golf courses, designing golf, golf holes and golf courses. Uh, I manufactured clubs. So I had a whole a raft of, you know, I was involved with the PGA Tour as a director in the PGA of New Zealand. So I was, I really had quite a wide and varied and interesting career and I think I guess the most enjoyable part of it was the people you meet and, mm-hmm. and you meet people through golf um, that you have no chance in the world of meeting if you were just a businessman unless you sort of got to the stage of, uh, of, of being the head of BHP or something like that. I think that was that's where I think the great value in being a golf pro is, is the people you meet. Yep. You play with plumbers and surgeons in equal numbers, don't you? And both can be handy when the time comes because <laughs> well, bo- sur- both can be hard to find when you need one. The surgeon, uh, Dr. Michael Neal, I'll give him a rap here, the guy who invented the bit that goes into your hip, he saw me walking at the lakes at the Australian Open when, when I was with Michael Clayton and Nicholas Colsarts. He said, you need a new hip? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, I'm Sydney's um, most famous orthopaedic surgeon. I said, you'll do me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, outstanding. And, yeah, what are they, what's the old saying? If you need a dentist, don't try and book one for a Wednesday afternoon because they're all down at the lakes playing in the comp. Enough about all of that. Now, we're going to come to the betting in a moment, J.M. We've got some interesting discussion to have this morning about a topic called variance, which I do recommend people stick around for. But before we do that, I want to get some administration out of the way. Now, obviously, the podcast is brought to you by Winning Edge Investments, and part of the reason they do that is to encourage people to sign up for the company's golf newsletter. Now, there's lots of reasons why that's a good idea, and we'll come to a few of them shortly, but for many, it's about price. And when you talk price, you need to talk value. And here is the value proposition that Winning Edge are putting to you, the listeners of this podcast. The newsletter normally costs about, or about, the newsletter costs $150 per month, but for podcast listeners, there's a 25% discount for the life of any subscription you take out. Now, JE has calculated kindly more than once for me that that means you pay just $112.50 per month. Now, that's a good deal, but here's the kicker, and I know that this is the bit you like, JE. Three and 12-month subscriptions come with a profit guarantee. So that means if you sign up for that time and you follow the staking plan and you don't come out in front, you'll be refunded the difference between what you did get back and what the subscription costs. Jay, now you know me, I'm not that bright, particularly when it comes to gambling. That doesn't sound like gambling to me, a profit guarantee. Well, it's an investment. Um, and like all investments, you 
you stump up with the money up front. If you go along into the stock market and you buy shares in BHP, you have to pay within three days. And if BHP go up and you get dividends, you're, you're a smart bloke, but in the unfortunate circumstances they go down, they don't go and refund your money. Now, we're in the situation where we're suggesting to you that you invest a sum of, uh, of effectively about $1,400 a year monthly or, uh, say, um, every three months, and you try it out. And, of course, if by chance, uh, the poor chance that our tips don't make a profit based on the staking plan, then we refund your money. So it's it's a run to nothing, I think they call it. And, uh, And sometimes during the tournaments, we also provide a run to nothing when we bet back. Yep, indeed. We'll come to all of that perhaps shortly. I think people are enjoying the uh, explanation of that betting system. Betfair is the exclusive uh, uh, place that you – or not exclusive, that's not quite right. Most of your betting is done at Betfair, which is not because they pay us or because we endorse it, but because you believe it's the best way uh, to make this sort of staking plan work. And as you've explained it to me, that does make some sense. To take advantage of that podcast offer where you get that 25% discount when you go to the website to sign up, you'll find the link in the show notes. That's the easiest way to do it. Scroll down on whatever podcast app you use. You'll see some show notes. There'll be a link there. Go to that. Use the promo code GOLF25 and you'll get that uh, that discount for the life of the subscription. JE, let's talk about some of that stuff as we go uh, on today's episode. Last week's tournaments are an excellent example of a notion or a concept Called variant. So I want you to run you th- run me th- run the listeners and me through what happened with your tips this past week, and then we might talk a bit about the concept of variance and gambling. You sent me a very interesting article about it during the, well yesterday, which I found was uh, was particularly intriguing. So what happened last week, and 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 how does that play into this notion of variance in gambling? Well, to explain variance. I think you there. I've got two examples, and I want to give you the one from uh, from last week's uh, golf tips first. And basically, our philosophy of trying to find value and the right odds about various players was best. Ex- our best example was last week in the top twenty tips. Now we tipped for top twenty. I should be able to count them here. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 top 20 tips, all at reasonable, reasonably big odds. And we varied the amount of units, generally 0.2 units, but sometimes 0.3 units. Now, of those 15 players, 13 made the cut. Only 60 make the cut plus ties. So we had 13 guys all in a position to take advantage of the winning thing. And had they all got up, we'd have made a huge profit on the, on the week. Mm-hmm. Now, about with about four groups to play, I mocked up my lay bets for the winning, to, to get a bet against the winning bets to try and lock in a profit. And at that stage, we had 10 guys in the top 20. So we were looking pretty good. You'd have thought. Then... Right, and then all of a sudden, every one of those top ten, except one, nine out of those ten, they all had a couple of bogeys and fell out of the top ten. So they all finished up, uh, top 20, they all finished up between 21st and about 40th, and two or three shots difference on the back nine would have seen them all 
get into the top 20 and we have a big win. Now, you might say, well, you've had a loss, and we did. We had a 2.9-unit loss on our top 20 bets, which is uh, um, the worst result we've ever had. So here we were in a position where, with nine holes to play, we're in the best position we've ever been, and due to uh, mistakes made by our particular group of players, we lost. So variance in this particular situation would be you've done everything right, you've got the right players, 13 out of 15 making the cut, which is obviously the first step. That gets rid of uh, effectively 96 of the 156 players. So we've done the, the hard job. They all get into a position on the front nine to do do the job for us, and then they fall apart. Now, some might say, well, they fell apart because that was why the odds were like that. But that's not true. We've demonstrated with all the other long tip bets that, that in general, that doesn't happen. So the variance in this particular case was that all of them fell apart. We don't need we might have we would have only needed two of them out of the ten to carry on and shoot even par the back nine and we would have had a winning day. So that's I guess the description of variance from our perspective last week. Yeah. But with your permission, Rod, I'd like to explain a situation where I think variance can be really well understood is in the Melbourne Cup when Prince of Penzance won at 100 to 1. Now, a, an intelligent punter going through the Melbourne Cup form has to take into con- consideration the form of the foreign horses. And that isn't necessarily an easy task because foreign stayers don't have as many starts in preparation. Some of them don't have a start for three or four months before they train them on uphill tracks in Ireland and Great Britain and they bring them down and then they give them long, slow work at Werribee and they go out in the cup. And you, it's very hard sometimes to put those into perspective. But if let's assume that you've got that right and you have the one or two foreign horses. You've got them. You've done the form. You've got the favourite in because the favourite almost always runs a place in the Melbourne Cup and, in fact, is the best bet in the Melbourne Cup. You back the favourite the place. You'll generally get $3 and they pretty much always run a place. So you've got the favourite, you've got the two, one or two foreign horses, and you've found the Kiwi, perhaps, and, a, and maybe even one Australian horse. And so you're all set to go. And then the race occurs, and there's one horse in the race, the longest price horse at a, a greater than 100 to 1, called Prince of Penzance. And it has the only female jockey in the race. And a female very rarely gets a start in the Melbourne Cup. I think there's probably only been three or four of them over history. And the female has never, I think she'd won one group one previously, Michelle Payne. And so, and the horse's form is dreadful. It has one thing in its favour. It's by Pentire, a champion sire of very good racehorses from sprinters to stayers in New Zealand. So it's New Zealand bred and it's very well bred to stay but it's out of form. So you don't put that in because the form perspective has dropped him off. And you've got 24 horses, 20 of them are in form, three you don't know about, and one that's not in form. So what happens? The first woman ever to ride a Melbourne Cup winner rides a Melbourne Cup winner. And she rides it on a horse that's greater than 100 to 1 that's got terrible form. And you get two, three, four, five, six. Your other five horses run second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. That 
is variance. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's simple. How many times would you have to rerun that race to get that result again? It's the least likely outcome, isn't it? So, uh, for the and, and it's absolutely a loss for that particular race, but it doesn't mean that your calculations or the bets you laid were wrong in that sense. Well, here's the interesting thing: the only other one hundred to one winner in the Melbourne Cup is a horse called Wotan in nineteen, I think, nineteen forty-one. So, Wotan, were you on it, Je? Were you on that? Well, I put it in. <laughs> But, but, here's, but here's the thing about it is you take the fact that that all of these factors, no one could calculate except no. Michelle Payne's eight or nine brothers and sisters, yeah. the Strapper, who's, who's a lovely kid, and they've mm. now made a movie about this called, yes, that's right. uh, called uh, Girls, Lit, Girls Can't Ride or something like that, which is a fantastic movie and worth seeing. But only the Payne family, mm. her boyfriend, and a few close and, – and a lot of women, strangely enough, women at the races, probably going to be 50,000 of them at Melbourne Cup on Cup Day, a lot of them back there because the only woman in the race. That's right. So, yeah, absolutely. But, but when you're doing your form for the Melbourne Cup, you're unlikely to choose the fact that because 50% of the women at the track are, – uh, uh, 50% of the people at the track are women, that you're going to back the woman, one woman rider in the race and put her in the things. The women would, but very few men would. So – so this is, I think, that's the best example of variance that I can give. It's the it's the unknown result that nobody rationally could predict. Yeah, indeed. Just to go back to the golf for a moment, Jay, and when I was I was very interested to hear you talking about going into the weekend. Thirteen of the fifteen made the cut. Uh, I can't remember how many you said were inside the top twenty with uh, going through the front nine. I never forget hearing Greg Norman's manager talk about this once, the notion of being someone – he was 10 shots behind at a tournament. Someone said, can you win? And Norman said, uh, it's unlikely or whatever it might have been. But he's, somebody pointed out that it's not the number of shots in golf, it's the number of players between you and the lead because the reality of professional golf is of those – uh, 60 that make the cut, you are guaranteed that 10 or 15 of them are going to play good golf over the weekend. You don't know which ones they're going to be, but it's guaranteed that they will. So for, for, for you to have 10 in the mix and all 10 not to play well is absolutely a long shot, isn't it? Well, there's another issue to that as well is that, um, and I think this is something that's, that's very interesting. 10 years ago, you would have guaranteed that four or five out of those top ten players that were in front of you would collapse, mm-hmm. either through pressure or mistakes mm-hmm. or just the general run of the event. But today, and we saw it in the playoff between uh, Kevin Nahar and... Um, Cantlay, was it? Patrick Cantlay? Cantlay, Patrick Cantlay. Were you on him the week before, by the way, Patrick Cantlay? I think you were. Well, that's all right. That's all right. No, no, that's that's because the odds were different. Yeah, yeah. Cantlay um, played magnificently from tee to green, made what you might call a one-foot mistake at the par three. His ball, instead of landing on the front of the green and jumping up to about three feet, it, it landed about a foot short got in the Bermuda, sucked back and rolled back into the water. So he makes a, he makes a mistake of minuscule proportions. I mean, a one foot in 180 yards, mm-hmm. unbelievable, unbelievably lu- unlucky. Nah, chops it. He carves his drive out into the right into the bushes, uh, just about, but it lands on a hard bit, runs back down the hard pan and finishes on a reasonably good lie in the middle of long rough. He gets the ball onto the green, 
and can't lay with a wedge in his hand, hits it 40 foot away and three putts and nah wins. Now, in the old days, with a bad drive like that, with the old equipment and balls and, and, and persimmon clubs, nah wouldn't have been able to reach the green. Mm. And one of the greatest problems of the game today, I think, is that you can players can miss hit and they can still reach the green with a middle or a short iron. In our days, if you miss hit, you had to hit a wood, 40 yards short, pitch it up and hope to hold the putt. Mm-hmm. These guys, he, he hit a dreadful drive off the 18th and he's still only 150 yards from the green on a 500-yard par four yeah. with a chop. So so I, I'm finding from that, that I've got to ref, refine my betting towards the end of a result because very few people choke today, mm, and I right. don't think it's I don't think I don't think they it's because they're any better mentally. They might be marginally better mentally. They might be marginally better physically. You can argue about that, but the equipment is giving them too much of an out. Mm. In other words, they can make a mistake, and, and it and it doesn't penalise them. Mm. Well, how crazy is that? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of discussion about this at the moment. It does feel like we're heading for some kind of a something to happen about golf within the golf uh, industry and the game itself and those who spend a lot of time talking about it, this is it has been a, it's always been a big deal but particularly in the last 12 to 18 months it really seems to have caught the attention of an awful lot of people so and for exactly the reasons you outlay it's fundamentally changed the nature of the competition and you can argue about whether you think that's right or wrong and you take it to my position is that I think that's wrong and should be changed others think that it's terrific you can argue about that, but ultimately, uh, it's a discussion that needs to be had because the fundamental nature of the competition has changed, and golf needs to decide whether it's happy with that change or not. And that's kind of where we are. So, if you're interested in all that stuff, get yourself on Twitter, follow myself and JE, and you will be introduced to a whole army of people who will have plenty to say about that particular. Well, topic. you know, one thing, Rod, just in finally finalising that little issue. Golf is a game where you want great shots to be rewarded and poor shots to have an element of punishment uh, equivalent to the error. And what's happening now, we're finding, is that the good shots are being rewarded. There's no doubt about that. That's the number of birdies you're having. But the number of mistakes that aren't being penalised is increasing dramatically. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, if we want it to change, now's the time to change it. Just to go back to the variance thing for just quickly, Jay, we had a discussion before we started to record today, and I, I meant to mention this while we were discussing it, not to whip back around to a topic that we'd already left. Uh, and as I explained to you, I used to work at the casino some years ago. I was a croupier. I did blackjack and roulette. And if you want to understand variance, it's pretty simple, isn't it? And this is kind of what we're talking about with the Winning Edge newsletter and, the, and what we're doing here with the betting. The casino always wins because they're always there at the end. It doesn't matter whether one individual table is down, which is rare but does. I've dealt at blackjack tables that were, in fact, a blackjack table full of Kiwis now that I think about it, J.E., one New Year's Eve that they had to refill the chip tray twice, if I recall, because they refused to give back any of the chips that they won. So excited about it. So I think my table's down about $30,000, just a $10 table at the Sydney Casino. But I know for a fact that the 50 other tables within 20 metres were all up considerably more. So that's variance, isn't it? The casino has one table down, but they are way in front. They're not losing on the night. And in fact, the table that I was dealing at, by the end of the next 24-hour period, I guarantee you would have got all of that back 
plus more. So casinos are an excellent example of variance, aren't they? The little boops well, along the way and the exactly. one or two that's down is handily covered by the long-term knowledge that the odds are in their favour and they will win. If you look at the uh, poker machines, you know, which are a terrible form of gambling. Uh, because are they, they even gambling? A- it's just it's just charity, isn't it? You're just giving money to yeah. the people who yeah, own them. Basically... The person puts his ten cents in or his dollar in now. But I can remember putting ten cents in at Terranora Lakes and getting fifty bucks out. I thought, how long's this been going on? And as a result, <laughs> and, and so the casino lost that particular bet. But over the long period that that I did uh, have a flutter on the poker machines, which I can want to tell you didn't never happens now. Um, they got their fifty dollars back and more, and that's why the buildings are so big and the and, and the punters are so broke. So that's right. so variance. Variance is you winning at the casino, yeah. and standard uh, standard deviation is them with a big building. Yeah, exactly. I suppose in some ways, Jay, it comes down to this. Are you betting for entertainment? And there's nothing wrong with that. Some people do. I myself have done it. You go to the casino with $200, willing to lose it, and you're accepting that that's the cost of that entertainment. If you end up not losing that much or you actually come out in front, well, so be to the good, but you're prepared to That's different to what we're doing here, isn't it? This is a long-term strategy using a particular betting agency and the model that they have which allows it to, well, you, the profit guarantee says it, to come out in front. There's not, this is not gambling for fun, is it? Well, winning edge investments, I think, uh, is, is an apt description of the company. Yeah. Uh, it is the intention of the owner that all of his uh, tipsters will win and that the subscribers will have a birthday every, uh, you know, not every week, but uh, over a period of time. And this profit guarantee, in effect, guarantees that you do uh, if you subscribe. But uh, but I think um, uh, the other advantage that we have here, of course, is that rather than the TAB taking 16 to 22%, which they do, and the bookies probably take 10 to 14%, Betfair take 2.5%. So... You have a much, much better chance by betting on Betfair. The odds are better, and you have this wonderful opportunity to arbitrage or crush or lay Mm -hmm. as we send out during the event in the uh, uh, after the possibility of one of our long-priced horses getting to the front and reducing in price dramatically. So we we are in a position where we can lock in a profit. And we've done that many times, and I've explained that over the past few weeks, where we can lose on the event, but the bets we put out win, and substantial wins sometimes. So, so it's investing, no doubt about it. You've got no cost, and you've got a potential to win. That's investing. It's not gambling. Indeed, it's very different to going to the races and backing a horse because you like the colour of the jockey silks, isn't it? <laughs> which is how some people do it sometimes, and we're not doing that. Let's get to some golf and some tips, because Podcast Pete has been patiently waiting, and if all of what we've talked about is true and comes true, Podcast Pete is going to become subscriber, Steve, and that's partly what we're here to do. Let's start with the Houston Open on the US Tour. Uh, JE, a number of potential winners that you've nominated here, but let's pick out the ones that you've nominated for Podcast Pete. Braden Bailey, I'll be honest. I follow the golf pretty closely. I've never heard of Braden Bailey at $1,000. Why? Well, there's some good and bad news here. Um, Braden Bailey is is one of – it was All-American for two years at college. This is his first event. And when we look at the performances of Hovland, 
Murakawa and Wolf, we realised the standard of amateur golf uh, and particularly college golf in the USA is extremely high and the gap between those top college golfers and the PGA Tour is narrowing every minute. And that might well be a, a part of that discussion we've had about clubs and balls. The fact that these young blokes today are learning how to swing the club faster and hit it further and they're closer to the green and, and, and perhaps their, their uh, uh, course management isn't as good as it might be after 10 or 5 or 10 years on the tour, they are still competing and, and we've seen that Morikawa and, uh, and uh, Wolf have won and that Hovland finishes in the top 10 regularly. So this kid comes out, nobody's heard of him, He's got no official world golf ranking points, so they put him up at a thousand bucks. So I jumped in, and a bit of bad luck for podcast Pete, but subscriber Steve got a thousand bucks and three times the stake of our normal bets. So Braden Bailey, a thousand dollars on Tuesday when I set out the early tips, is now five hundred and sixty dollars to win. So. Vote of confidence in you there too, J.E. They've all obviously jumped on. <laughs> it's a good bet, and as a result, down come the odds. Well, what happens, of course, is as our subscribers go on first, which they do, and they start to take the big odds, the market tends to follow them down. So, so you know, what's this? Who's this kid? And then someone goes and does his research, and they find out that he's a top amateur, and he's made All-American, and he's only just behind these, these players. It's his first event. And bingo. So mm-hmm. Braden Bailey at $1,000, uh, I think, uh, later on. I don't think we're supposed to tell you this, but I think we put him into the top 20s as well. Anyway, that's we won't say that. We don't know that. But anyway, Braden Bailey, still a good bet, I think, at the 560. Mm-hmm. You're going to – because he only has to finish in the top 10, and I'm, I can assure you he'll be under $100 for the rest of the year. So, yeah. so we've, we're trying to find these guys – before anybody else, uh, I research the last 10 Houston Opens. He obviously wasn't there. This is his first event. But I also do, when I haven't seen a player, I go in and I check out their college record or why they got to the tournament in the first place. Some sneak in there on, under very strange pretenses. They do. <laughs> but, this, but this, funnily enough, Chase Kepke did last week because his brother got him into it. And mm-hmm. he, then he finished up beating his brother pointless. But anyway, that was another story. But Braden Bailey... Is is I I rarely tip 0.3 of a unit at a thousand dollars, but I have in this case. And here's what you could do, Rod. Had you been on as uh, Steve, subscriber Steve, at a thousand dollars for your 0.3 of a unit, which which might have been say 30 bucks, then you could have gone back on after our money's gone on, and podcast Pete could have got his 30 bucks back and had. 300 to nothing. That is where the advantage of being subscriber Steve is. Steve gets the bets early, and when the money goes on, the big money goes on, Steve can sneak in there and podcast. Pete has to have a bet at Steve's price. Mm. So the bet and lay, the, the arbitrage, 
is possible even before they go out onto the tournament. Oh, I so see. So, so subscriber Steve's on for three units, but he can now go in and, and eventually become the bookie and offer odds on Braden Bailey so that he's guaranteed to not lose any of his... I'm with you now. Wow. Very sneaky, well, we Jay. Talked about, but we talked about the run to nothing. You yeah. know, and the run, to, the yeah. run to nothing is this whole whole concept that we're giving you money back. But here's yeah. a run to nothing. Yeah. You've got, um, you've got uh, 30,000 to 30. And then he, he shortens it. He gets down to five sixty to bet. You can lay him at six hundred for sure, right? So you then lay eighteen thousand to thirty against him, and you've got twelve grand to nothing. Yep, that's not a bad bet. Seems okay. Uh, well done, subscriber Steve. There's your hundred and twelve fifty paying off if you took part in our uh, our golf promo. Uh, very quickly, Arjun Atwal also at a thousand dollars is your other tip there. Arjun Atwal's a player who's been around for a while, uh, an accomplished player. Has he got a particularly good record in the Houston Open? Je, is there any particular reason why you've picked him? There? He's uh, he pops up. He doesn't play. He doesn't play very many tournaments. He only no. plays about ten or fifteen. He's, he's a top Indian player, but when he plays, he quite often gets himself yeah. in a position to win. Yeah. So. I've just uh, when he's a thousand, I back him. Sometimes he shortens down. I've had three hundred, and I leave him out. But that's he's in there because he's he's a thousand dollars, and he's still a thousand dollars. He hasn't shortened like Braden Bailey did. Regular practice partner of Tiger Woods back in the day, Arjun Atwell. Not many people will know that. Two of them were quite close back in the day in the early 2000s. Let's move over to the European Tour of the Italian Open. Actually, have I got some top 20 bets for the Houston Open? I don't think I have. They might have been separate. So we'll... they, Steve's, Steve's got plenty. but uh, Steve's got plenty, but Pete gets nothing, and that's fair enough. Got nothing. Pete got nothing. I could throw one out if you want. No, 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 no. When we talk about price and value, this is an excellent example of it. For the price the podcast Pete's paying, he's already had good value. You can't complain about that. So, uh, Pete? Get on, become subscriber, Steve. You'll be okay. Let's move to the Italian Open. This is dragging on for too long. Yusaka Miyazato, $1,000. This one's really interesting. Tell me why you've picked him. Well, yeah, I've gone in on for him for point two of a unit as well because last, I put him in last week. There were two Japanese players, and, and, and the market tends to discount the Japanese tour, mm-hmm. which at their peril, I think, because uh, Mira, uh, Mirakawa, he finished seventh last year, last week, and we put him in. We put him in, I think, at about four hundred and twenty to one last week, and he finished seventh. He he never looked like winning because John Rahm got out there and, and kicked their bums, but um, but he was seventh. Not a bad effort for a four hundred and twenty dollar pick. But Yusaka Miyazato finished twenty third. So I'm going. I start at the bottom and work up to get to my tips. I don't start at the $10 jobs. I start at the $1,000 jobs. And I come upon Miyazato, and I thought, he didn't he play well last week? And I would finish up there. He finished 23rd, and he's $1,000. So we've got 0.2 units on him. Basically, he's demonstrated, firstly, he can make the cut, which is our first step. And secondly, he's not that far away from being a top player. Mm-hmm. And he is a top player on the Japan Tour. Yeah. So, so we've... I think the Japanese are going to sneak into Europe more and more often, mm-hmm. and and um, the you know there there's some very very fine players playing in Japan. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and he's one of them. Yep, it's a very competitive tour. Adrian Oregi at $400. No need to really explain yourself there. He's a top player. That's generous odds for a, a European Tour winner. That makes a lot of sense. Some interesting ones in the top 20 here. The Italian Open, it is, of course, and you've gone with, for, top, for podcast Pete in the top 20, Lorenzo Gagli, $9.40. Players playing at home can that go either way in front of a home crowd? Can and 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 uh, it can go the way that that we've predicted here with Gagley is that last week I think the first top three players were all Spaniards. Five out of the top six were Spaniards. So 
uh, in this one, we've got Francesco Molinari. We haven't put Francesco in because he's short odds, but mm-hmm. Francesco Molinari, he could win this, but so can Lorenzo Gagli, mm-hmm. who has a very good record in the Italian Open. Now, the Italian Open statistics are very – there's not very many of them. I think there's only two or three years, so I haven't gone too, too strongly on that. But Gagli has shown continuously good form – and $9.40, I thought, was luxury. So we're giving him an extra unit there. Yeah. So he's got an extra unit. For the top 20, I'm always th- – these top 20 bets is fantastic value. If you had a $9.40 winner at the races, you'd be absolutely stoked, wouldn't you? And there's, he is an excellent chance to finish top 20 at those odds. That You, know, you really start to get the idea of how this bet fair works and why you prefer this this particular method because that's extremely generous. Jeff Winter at six odds. Now, I'm also not familiar with Jeff Winter. I'm assuming he's done something recently, hasn't he? Uh, consistently, Jeff Winter. He's he's uh, he's unbelievably consistent, and I'll try and show you how consistent he is. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Can hear you whizzing around in that digital world with great comfort, Je. Everything at your fingertips. No, that's okay. Apologies. I know exactly how you feel while you're doing that. Uh, you've also gone with Miyazato in the top 20 at $23. Well, you've explained why he's a good bet at 1000 to win, and no no surprise he's a good bet at $23 to finish in the top 20. What have you found out about Jeff Winter? Well, Jeff Winter's consistently finished in the top 20 over the last six weeks. So, he's, so, so he ought to be about $3, and he's $6. So, so that's as simple as, simple as that. He's, he's got a yeah, – strange enough, and, can't find. But, uh, but, but anyway um, – uh, that, that's golf knowledge and operation there, isn't it, J.E., that you can recognise the patterns. And, of course, he's not going to make any headlines finishing top 20 for six straight weeks. But if you're a close observer of the game, that tells you something about a player, the direction he's going, and that's why you can find the value. And that's what that's what this is all about, the value. $6 is overs for a guy who's been on a run of consistent form, isn't it? Uh, and many would, would keeps, miss that. Just keeps, just keeps, he just keeps uh, performing. Mm. You know, he, I mean, he's almost a good win bet, but his win bet price was was far too short, mm-hmm. whereas the place bet price, the 20, the top, obviously the same punters that bet the win don't bet the place. And so I thought the winter was probably about a – 100 to 1 chance, but he's about 60 to 1, but here he is at $6 a place. Well, you've you've just got to take those odds in the market where it makes the most sense. Absolutely. J.E., we've gone longer than I meant to. I hope it's been as interesting for the punters as I've found it. I do find a lot of this – I mean, the the golf each week is the golf, and that's interesting, but this other stuff that we're talking about I find really, really interesting. It engages the brain, and that's what I love about golf, engages the brain, and this is engaging the brain. That's good, too. I hope it's doing it for our listeners as well. Thank you for taking some time today, as always. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Rod. As I've said before, uh, and I think you're demonstrating it continuously – um, your methods of operating the podcast business are right at the top of the tree. That's very kind of you, Jay. It has to be pointed out it's a small tree at this stage, but it's still nice to be at the top of it in your eyes. So I appreciate it. It's very kind of you to say so, as you always have. That's it for Episode 12 of Risk and Reward. We'll be back again next week to see how all of these bets went, what role variants played, and have some more bets for next week. Join you then on Risk and Reward. Risk and Reward.